0: Are you curious about the unknown, the unexplainable? Do you find yourself intrigued by the mysterious and paranormal side of our world? Join us on an adventure into the world of inexplicable discoveries and investigations that may someday give us a final answer as to what may be behind the veil of reality. Then it's time to turn your pods up because we're live to tape from the mountains of West Virginia. It's time once again for Let's find out with co-host Diego. The universe is waiting for you.
1: Everything in this universe has a beginning. The Big Bang. The formation of nebular matter into stars and planets. The first collections of amino acids in the Earth's oceans. The first creatures to leave them. The first mammals. The first primates that walked upright. The first religion. The first winter pass.
2: Pump up your space boots and phone home. It's time for Let's Find Out with co-host Diego. Live. To tape from the mountains of West Virginia, it's Let's Find Out with co-host Diego, Bigfoot, UFOs, Stargates, Let's Find Out, Paranormal, Intelligent Design, Entertainment, Let's Find Out. You're listening to Let's Find Out with co-host Diego.
1: Live to tape from the mountains of West Virginia, it's another episode of Let's Find Out with co-host Diego. Thank you for taking this journey with me. On this episode of Let's Find Out, I met our guest about a few months ago at the Virginia Bigfoot Con in Weyers Cave, Virginia. He's an author, paranormal investigator, and he will share with us his own journey that placed him in the steps of Bigfoot. His book, On the Trail of Bigfoot, is a look into the author's own experience with this creature, years of research, and provides a wealth of information that will surely interest the readers. Please welcome to Let's Find Out. A new friend of the show, Mike Dupler. Mike, welcome to Let's Find Out. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you. And uh, I must say that I have a lot of the... We talked earlier before we started the episode that a lot of the Bigfoot books I've written in the past are good. Some are better than others. But with this one, and I know we discussed it, is it reads a little bit different than most Bigfoot books. And we're going to get to that in a moment, but everything has an origin. So early in the book, it discusses about your own experience with Bigfoot. And so let's talk about that. How did that first experience begin?
0: Um, My daughter lived in Kennewick, Washington. I'm originally from Ohio. Uh, She worked as a newspaper reporter out there and I would go out there uh, every summer and visit her. And on one occasion, we went to... Portland, Oregon, we actually did a ghost investigation at the Shanghai Tunnels in Portland, and we rented a cabin that was halfway between the ocean and Portland, so one morning we got up, we decided we was going to drive to the ocean for, for the day, and we were taking back roads heading towards the interstate, and in this, out in this field, I saw these trees stuck in the ground upside down, with the roots facing upward. And immediately I thought about a documentary that I had seen. It's called "Myths and Monsters of Alaska. And in one of the segments, um, they said that the the hairy man takes blown down trees and sticks them in the ground upside down as territory markers on Prince of Wales Island off the coast of Canada. So this really piqued my attention. And when I got back to Ohio, I corralled my sister to go to Salt Fork State Park, which I researched as being the hotspot in Ohio for Bigfoot activity. And we went out there looking for Bigfoot, not knowing anything about what we were doing. Um, We parked the car and we started walking a trail around the lake. And we wandered into a ravine, maybe 50 yards or so. And we thought, well, we'll just sit down on this log and listen for a while. So we sat down, we was listening, we heard the birds chirping and whatever. And my sister looks down and says, that looks like a Bigfoot track. And right by us, pressed into the leaf litter, was probably a perfect Bigfoot track that was 18 inches long and about six inches wide. It, It wasn't in substrate. It was impressed in the leaf litter. And I took a picture of it and... And we left. So basically, the first place we looked, we found Bigfoot activity or Bigfoot type activity.
1: In a way, you're incredibly lucky because not many can say that on their first trip, they would, come up, they would um, find evidence like that.
0: Oh, exactly. And being 50 yards off the trail, I, it's highly unlikely that anyone would go back there with a stamp and stamp a Bigfoot. Uh, track in leaf litter hoping somebody would come across it you know that's very very unlikely so i took this as a a authentic occurrence
1: now was this the time when you became more of a more of a believer
0: um no it took a while um we went back a, a month or so later we went back to the same spot to look around we didn't find any more tracks or anything We was just looking because we found that one there, then that could be an active area. So we're just looking around and my sister looks up and sees on top of the hill arched trees, a tree like bowed over and she said that's that doesn't quite look natural. So we climbed up to the top and we found the arched trees and we found what could only be determined as a Bigfoot structure. I mean, you know, this is on top of a hill back in the woods where nobody goes. And I looked at this thing. I took pictures of it and there was no root bases. There was no place for natural tree fall. Something had to put this here. Something with hands had to assemble this. So that's kind of piqued my belief right there that something was going on that and the track then you you have a trail towards authenticity
1: and with these structures because i've seen and i'm sure the listeners have as well different types of six structures uh a lot of people have very different theories of what they are but something interesting and when i was reading your book that these structures not necessarily meant for shelter but they're meant for some sort of a way to communicate or send a message right
0: I visited this structure over a summer, going back every month or so, and every time I went there, I took pictures of it, and I laid the pictures out and compared them, and over time, subtle changes were made to this structure. Uh, items were removed, items were added, moved, whatever. Just subtle changes, which indicated to me that this could very well be what I call a billboard since uh, Bigfoot is thought to travel in family units and in widely scattered family units, if you have a billboard in a strategic location that you can leave a message, then another Bigfoot coming into that area could look at it and you know ascertain information from this. And when you change the structure, you change
1: the message. Is it something similar to a saying, like a property marker for this bigfoot like this from here on this is my home or this is my land or is it maybe a warning yeah I, I I really didn't take this particular structure as a territory
0: marker I took a more of a like a billboard to communicate a message I have seen I don't know how many Bigfoot structures uh, for the last 10 years I've been looking for these and it amazes me that i find I still find different ones and it's incredible the imagination it would take to create so many different types of, of, uh, structures.
1: Now in your travels, cause I know Ohio is very rich in history of these types of things, but have you seen this in other places you've gone to?
0: I was on a bear hunt in Nova Scotia. Okay. And I was sitting in a tree stand and I looked down and I saw, a, a structure that looked very similar to the structure that I found on top of that hill. There's a, There was a documentary big for the definitive guide with uh, Meldrum and Dr. Ian Redman, if anybody recalls that. And Ian Redmond was on Vancouver Island off the coast of Canada, and found a structure that was very similar to the one I found in Nova Scotia and very similar to the one that I found in Ohio. So to me, this is the main communication type symbol for them, that they can change the message and and so forth.
1: What kind of items and other, of course, with with branches and trees, are they tied together or are they wedged in like like a triangle? They're just,
0: there's usually a live tree in the center and then they assemble uh, logs and branches around it uh, to where uh, weather's not gonna knock it down or that type of thing. Now, another structure that I found in Ohio, in a different area, I I watched this over summer also, uh, initially it was pine trees that were arched over a trail, just a group of pine trees arched over a trail. I initially thought it, it was probably snow load that, that made them uh, bow like that. <clears throat> but over the summer, the pine trees were woven together at the top without the use of any ropes and bindings. And this was 12 feet off the ground. And it, it's just an incredible, incredible structure. Uh, I have pictures of that in my book, but the dexterity and the patience and the knowledge to do something like this And it was absolutely not for any survival reasons. It wasn't a shelter. It wasn't to uh, attract deer or or anything like that. And my personal opinion that this particular structure could have been artistic expression.
1: Right. And And you talked about having photographs in your book and looking through. You have some pretty amazing evidence of the Bigfoot.
0: Yeah, the pictures in the book are mine. I took every one of them, nothing from the internet or nothing like that. And those are from Ohio, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, from Ohio. Yeah, you know, I I lived in Ohio for a few years and I know some folks up there in Ohio, there's a lot of activity going on there now. And with with your experience as a paranormal investigator and now with, with Bigfoot, how is it that sometimes the paranormal and Bigfoot sometimes just, come hand in hand? Is it like, like a natural thing that evolves? Uh, What they call the woo factor. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think what people are trying
0: to do is to explain what they don't understand. Okay. Uh, Like, they say, well, Bigfoot cloaks, because you see it and then and then you don't or steps into another dimension or something like that. But uh, what I ran into, okay, and these pictures are in my book also. Uh, My sister and I walked a dry creek bed back about, oh, half a mile or so. I knew where some caves were. And the terrain got rough, so I didn't take her any further. And I just took random pictures into the woods. I took about 30 pictures. And when I brought them up on my computer, there were these black dots in the distance. And when I enhanced them, there were four Bigfoot hunkered down in the brush watching us. There was no sound, no smell, no motion, nothing to indicate that these were there. And I've always wondered, did I walk in on them or did they walk in on me? But there was absolutely no indication that they were there. Now, if you walk through the woods and you jump a deer, you're gonna watch that deer till it gets out of sight. You walk through the woods and you jump a Bigfoot, they're gonna hunker down and blend in immediately. And you're looking around you're saying, well, where did it go? You expect it to run away like a deer. But it doesn't. It's the total mass of of its domain. It can blend in immediately. So you think, well, it had to cloak. It had to step into another dimension. Something has to explain why I can't see this anymore. And I believe that's the foundation for those beliefs.
1: You know, and it makes kind of sense now, if, if we're to use a more of a, say not a, non, a non-paranormal look into it more of a natural ability for the bigfoot to camouflage itself kind of right. like a chameleon changes colors is that something that perhaps they have in their in their chemistry in their body in their dna to be able to blend in with let say trees or leaves or well no other primate does and you got to consider okay
0: they hunker down immediately for two reasons reason number one is they know that humans key in on motion Reason number two, humans can kill from a distance. So they totally take that out of the equation. And you have to figure also that there's many Bigfoots out there who've never seen a human. Why would they do that? Like Patty from the Patterson film, that's probably the first human she's ever seen. So you have to think, well, they're not hiding from us. They're just protecting themselves.
1: I And it makes sense. Now, for the Bigfoot that have been observing humans for hundreds of years, because this goes back to the Native American folklore and tales, and I would say that they've learned, you touched on it earlier, that humans can kill from a distance. Right. So, if we benefit them to maybe not have contact with us, even if we're friendly or not, because they wouldn't know who would be friendly or not, you know, a good guy or a bad guy. Exactly. So, with that, and I know that we're talking about the, the structures and as a form of communication, but with Bigfoot, how? I know there's, they made a lot of noises like a whoop or they knock on trees. They've also been, some of them a little more aggressive, will throw rocks at individuals or stones as, you know, a form to warn and get away. So, how do they, commun- if they were to communicate with human, how would they do that? Because I understand sometimes there's been those at the theory that use telepathy or they might actually use actual um, verbal sounds.
0: What they call mind speak. I've never encountered that. And I wouldn't think that is realistic, but we don't know enough about them to say they can't. That's like the interdimensional or the, or the uh, cloaking, that type of thing. You can't say absolutely not because we don't know enough about them to dismiss it, but you can just say it's
1: unlikely. So if they were to choose to communicate, uh, what, um, what do they call those, those sounds that they make or their language? I can tell you what I've encountered. Okay. Yeah. I've been growled at twice.
0: Uh, one occasion, uh, we were walking a trail back and there was a turkey yelping in the, in the brush next to us. And we just kept on walking and the turkey was going basically the same direction. And we heard a growl like nothing else you would ever hear in your life. Nothing in Ohio would make that noise. It was a a cross between a freight train and Godzilla. So we just turned around and walked back. My opinion was it was letting us know that we were interrupting its hunt and we needed to leave. And on the second occasion, uh, we were, my sister and I again, I take her because if we run into a Bigfoot, I can run faster than she can, so, but uh, we were in another area, and we heard the same type of growl close by. Of course, we ne- we never saw anything, because they, they were blended in, but we knew that we were in a place we shouldn't have been, so we turned around and left. Now, in Tennessee, I've had a couple occasions. Uh, I was close to one or two, and I heard it whistle, just to alert the other one that there was a human close by now this wasn't a bird cub, it was just one whistle and on another occasion i actually saw a bigfoot i was this was in tennessee i was walking on a, a uh logging road and i came to a high point in the road and off to my right i saw something step behind a tree at first i thought it was a bear but nothing came out the other side so i knew there was Bigfoot in the area. So I just kept walking. And there were two screams, like the worst scream you would ever hear in an old horror movie or something like that. And to me, that was letting me know that I was in the wrong place at the wrong time again. So I I left. And I have heard several tree knocks. And the tree knocks that I've heard were single knocks. And to me, that was alerting others in the area that a human was close
1: by. And singular knocks, it wasn't like a rhythm or anything like that?
0: No, it was just a, that was it.
1: And from the, I was, I was going to say contact, but when you saw them, it was a, like a brief moment. Can you describe how, how it looked like?
0: It was dark, almost black, very tall, very large, very fast. Uh, it was it was just an instant, but there was enough to to know it wasn't something else,
1: right? Because being an experienced hunter, as you said, you are, uh, you would know the difference between different types of animals, whether it's a a bear, deer, or for instance, we would know uh, an ape would look very different than a Bigfoot, right? So,
0: not not only uh, physical attributes, but how they react how they act like a bear wouldn't hide behind a tree from you it would either come at you or go away from you but uh, a, like a Bigfoot if it wants to remain hidden from you will do just that and and move around the tree as you're walking by
1: now when, when you I when you mentioned earlier you took the pictures, so you wound up, up catching a few of these on on your photos Did you take the same approach as when you were doing, uh, I guess it was a spirit photography or ghost photography back when you were doing the paranormal investigating?
0: Oh, absolutely. That's where I learned it from. That's where I, that's where I perfected my techniques, so to speak.
1: And when you first started doing, I'll say the spirit photography, and I know we're jumping to another subject back then it was actually using what? 35 millimeter film, right? Before my first,
0: um, My first hunt actually was at the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, and we went there on an overnight ghost hunt, and I just bought a couple of those disposable uh, 35-millimeter cameras at Walgreens and took pictures with those and actually caught a full-bodied apparition in a place called the bullpen with one of those cameras. The first trip, ghost hunting.
1: Wow. I mean, so your, your first trip goes hunting and your first trip in, in looking for Bigfoot and Shazam, there you go.
0: Exactly. I must lead, lead a gifted life or something. Or I don't know.
1: And no, and that's fine because, you know, your experience equals to writing this wonderful book. So when did it come time for you to say, I have to write this into a book because there's so much information. And I mentioned earlier And I'll repeat it again. It's not like most Bigfoot books. This is actually from your experience and your encounters with it.
0: Basically my point of view and my impressions of what was going on, trying to make sense of, instead of just saying, I saw one over the hill, I was trying to determine why did I see one over the hill? You know, that type of thing to try to, bring some more understanding because we just don't understand these things. We don't have enough information. We have to, uh, use conjecture to try to determine their motives or their habits or this or that, but trying to, it's
1: putting the pieces of a puzzle together. I totally get get what you're saying. And when was it that you finally realized, I I need to put this in a book and, and share it with readers? It took
0: probably about two or three years investigating because we would find just so much. I mean, I cast, I have cast eight footprints and uh, a knuckle print and the structures, the different types of structures that, that uh, cannot be attributed to people, you know, that type of thing, trying to make sense of what I'm finding. I thought, like, well, I'm going to write this down to try to make sense of it to myself, and maybe pass it on to to somebody else, that type of thing.
1: Well, you know, it's amazing you say you did eight of them, the footprints.
0: Yeah, I have cast eight footprints total. With,
1: and with casting of the footprints, what kind of conditions does it have to be in order to cast a? I would say, perfect footprint. I usually
0: go in the month of March when the snow melts and the rain starts when the mud's nice and ooey-gooey because I have cast two footprints probably 100 yards apart in the month of March and two consecutive years. So I'm thinking this could be like a migration route or something along those lines.
1: And what did you do with the prints? Are you, did you frame them, put them in the house? Or do you have a – I'm going to say the word locked up. <laughs> Tearing my living room on a oh, Okay. Because when I was down in a Weyer's Cave, there was a a gentleman. I bought a uh, a, a Bigfoot um, cast where I think it was a replica of the of the. Um, <laughs> see, this is where I'm showing my my brain is not working right. The, the gentleman, yes, yeah, yeah, that one. It's a beautiful okay. print. You know, it's amazing because I'm looking at it and it's the reality kind of hits is This is a humongous print, and this print you cannot identify it to being from a, I would say, normal animal.
0: Right. Right. They're unique, unique, totally unique to the, to the species.
1: Right. It comes to a point to where in the Bigfoot community, where I think we need to start looking past that film now, because I think there, there has to be something else out there that we can rely upon to get this evidence. And you're one of the people that have experiences and put it in a book Right. On the trail of Bigfoot. And with that being said, are we looking at another book down the road or we're we going to be doing something completely different?
0: I have actually, uh, I I did it today. I, um, I'll be at the Virginia uh, conference next year. And hopefully I've completed a book about Bigfoot origins. Okay. And that's about all I can say about it.
1: No, that's exciting for me because actually I'm gonna be there too next year. That's my plan. And I'm I'm hoping that you'll sign that book as well, just like you did this one. Now, one thing I want people to to keep in mind, okay. Pe-
0: people say, Well, I can't find Bigfoot, they're so elusive, this, that, whatever. They don't hide their tracks. Um, I've seen the way they stock. They they if you, if you go in the woods and you walk up a hill you're walking a game trail okay so you can stay oriented in the woods now a bigfoot won't follow a game trail they'll go beside it. I've seen uh, bigfoot impressions in leaf litter that way and that's you'll find tracks usually when they cross a trail or something along those lines when they cross a creek um, but they're not hiding their tracks from you it's just the way they do things. They're not being elusive. They're just being themselves. So they're not hiding from us and they don't hide their structures. I drive up and down old country roads looking for structures and that's how I find them. They don't hide their structures. They don't normally hide their footprints from us. So you need to approach it with that aspect. You're hunting the animal, not the evidence. That
1: makes perfect sense. What you're saying right there so with these footprints are there several of them either are there because normally i believe in the book is usually three of them like like a, like a mother a father and a juvenile are there any like uh like let's say if you were going to go into say in africa and there's elephants out there you'll see several hundreds of footprints from the elephants Is are these like a small amount of footprints they they don't walk around in packs, just in small family units?
0: Um, the footprints that uh, that I have found that I have cast have been single prints. There, I have never found a trackway because they stay off trail. And usually when you find a, a castable print is for when they cross the trail and, and leave a, a print. But uh, the reason they walk along trails instead of on trails is to keep their scent off the trail. They're hunting deers, you know, and they do this. They're the masters at it and they know how to do it. They know how to um, take care of their scent or to hunt without alerting the deer of their scent. And it's just, that's just the way they do things.
1: It's just a natural ability that they've um, evolved into these hundreds of years. They're able to, they're able to control that. Right. Right. Well, I mean, that's why in a way they're, more advanced than us, especially in the wilderness. They're
0: as as master of their domain as we are of ours. That makes perfect sense.
1: And for the listeners of the show that would want to learn more about what it is that you're doing and more about the book, where can they purchase the book and where can they find you online? I'm on Facebook,
0: Mike Dupler on Facebook, or I have an author's page, which is author Mike Dupler on, on Facebook. There are links to uh, order the book, I believe on my author page or it's on Amazon, either my name or the name of the name of the book.
1: And of course they can purchase it from you when they go to the Bigfoot conventions, you're right there with the absolutely, Absolutely. As I did. And, And before we go, we talked about this earlier. I'm very interested in this because this is the first time that I've actually got to hear this audio. Now, what is called the Barry Tapes, the Voices okay. in the Wilderness. I find this very fascinating because I've heard these these sounds. They sound both interesting and terrifying at the same time. Before we go, would you mind sharing the story of how this, uh, where this story came from? Uh, this was uh, from
0: a group of hunters in the Sierra Nevada's. They had a hunting camp, and they would spend. Uh, various amounts of time of this hunting camp and they would hear these creatures in the distance or in the brush around them uh, basically never showing themselves and they were using what they called a samurai chatter okay which is a real fast uh, type of, of language a spoken language that th- they're communicate back and forth with and they made recordings and they actually had um, phonetics uh, broken down as to what one would mean or one word would mean or that type of thing. But you have to consider that all animals communicate. Dolphins have a type of language that they use that could even be called some type of a chatter. So it's just their way of communicating. And I dealt with who will ever decipher the meaning of this like like the tree structures we will never decipher what these structures mean because it means something to them but absolutely nothing to us
1: for the recorders that i've heard it seems i i wouldn't know how somebody would be able to decipher that language because it's very um from a human standpoint it's very chaotic
0: yes yes but they understand it perfectly
1: course <laughs> yeah no i understand that because there's there are human languages in its own where people talk a mile a minute and there's there's just no way you'll ever understand them either same thing with these creatures that possibly they have a language that we might we might have to have our own rosetta stone for bigfoot to find out what it is that they're saying All right so with that the book on the trail of bigfoot tracking the enigmatic giants of the forest mike it's been a pleasure having you on the show and to share these stories and learn more about your book. But before we go, could you go over one more time, how the listeners of the show can find out more about what you do?
0: Like I said, uh, I'm on Facebook under Mike Dupler. Uh, I have an author's page, uh, Mike Dupler, and they can find my book on Amazon, either by my name or the name of the book. And it's readily available. Everybody needs to have it.
1: (laughs) No. I agree with that. This is probably if, in my opinion, if you're gonna buy your very first book on this subject, I would highly recommend this one. If I had my own book of the month club, this would be the first one I put on there. I so certainly I,
0: appreciate that. I really do.
1: No, it's, it's true because I read this and I've been on the hook. And I might do it a second read because this is helps me gain more knowledge. And uh, I really thank you not only for being so nice to me over there at the Bigfoot convention, but also signing the book and taking the time to talk to me for a few minutes so i really appreciate that okay i
0: appreciate you having me
1: thank you sure thing this has been another excellent episode of let's find out with me co-host diego please check us out on all our social media pages as well as our youtube channel and we are also now on rumble thank you for taking this journey with me until next time my friends
2: have you always been curious about the unknown the unexplainable Do you find yourself intrigued by the mysterious and paranormal side of our world? Then, Let's Find Out with co-host Diego is the podcast for you. Join in on an adventure into the world of the inexplicable and get insights from experienced researchers, investigators, and experts. Listen to mind-bending discussions and fascinating stories as Let's Find Out explores the strange, mysterious, and paranormal. Let's find out with co-host Diego is a unique and engaging podcast that uncovers the mysteries of the cryptic and unknown. With insightful interviews and discussions, they discover the very latest theories, discoveries and investigations that may someday give us the final answer as to what may be behind the veil of reality. Available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Radio Public, TuneIn and Rumble. Thank you for listening to Let's Find Out with co-host Diego. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, and on Anchor. For more information about Let's Find Out with co-host Diego, please visit us on facebook.com forward slash co-host Diego, on Twitter at co-host underscore Diego, and on Instagram as co-host Diego. Copyright co-host Diego. All content for Let's Find Out is the property of co-host Diego and is served directly from our servers with no modification, redirects, or re-hosting. All celebrity impersonators are paid performers. The impersonated celebrities do not endorse or promote any views or opinions expressed by our guests, co-host Diego, or Let's Find Out. The information shared on Let's Find Out is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness.